Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Okay, so turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. I'll just have a short message today, and, uh, and I just, uh, I feel like, you know, if you're, if you're just, if you, if you follow the Lord, if you track with Him just beneath the surface, um, you will find consistency and just threads of sort of common principles and truths that he weaves. And, and that is some of the greatest stuff to hold on to. And, you know, it would be one thing if somebody came up here and connected all the dots for you. But sometimes I think when there's a lot of dots on the page, the Lord might be drawing a different picture for you than he is for somebody else. And so if somebody else connects all the dots then, you know, it's going to turn out to be the dinosaur or whatever it was. Um, but if the Lord leads you to connect the threads and to, to see the tapestry he's weaving, there's going to be some things that are similar with this body at large. And then there's going to be some things that are really specific to you. And so I don't want to do all the application for you. I don't want to do all of the, you know, fill in the blanks. I want the Lord to, to do that with you. And so uh, peel back a couple layers and recognize that, yes, while there are some things, and and if you listen to a a string of messages, and I think it's important that we do. I, um, you know, even the folks that are on our serve team, we've got 300 plus people on our serve team. And on any given Sunday, many of them are working in different parts of the room. And I was talking with Steve Pivar, our head of security, the other morning, and he said, Zach, he said, because, uh, you know, over the last month and a half, two months, there's been a lot of call-outs, right? Anybody, Frank, Lucas, you, you know that, right? Uh, I think we had more subs than we did actual faculty in Kings for a couple of weeks, just because everybody was sick. And uh, when everybody's sick, everybody else is sick, too. And so what ends up happening is a lot of our real core, real committed people, they end up covering, and they do this shift and that shift. And we set up our serve team such that with two services that you should always be able to come to one service. And that usually works for most of the year until sick season. And then people end up having to uh, play double duty and both services and that sort of thing. And so he came back into service the other day, he sat down and he was like, you know, Zach, he said, it's just so good to sit with my wife in, in the service and just to be a part of like receiving what it is that God's pouring out. And so um, I think that, I think that it's so important for us that we don't just come in and feel that, but that, that there's consistency there. Even if that means you've got to uh, jump on the YouTube or you've got to catch up with somebody who, a friend who comes and who was in the service and say, fill me in. Not because of what I have to say is so important, but because God is doing something. And, and it's not just this like hit it and quit it one time thing like, hey, don't miss that message. Hey, don't miss that retreat. Hey, don't miss that conference or that Tuesday night prayer. No, it's don't miss anything. I don't want to miss anything. I almost went to the women's conference. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't want to miss it. And Ashley was like, Zach, we're not that kind of church. And so I had to sit back on that. But um, anyway... I look forward to hearing all the uh, secondhand good stuff from you guys, you girls, women of God. Matthew chapter 10, there's a cool passage that you probably hear picked and pulled at a lot. 
and uh, little bits and blurbs, like half verses and maybe half truths pulled out of it. Um, But I want to just read this to you. Uh, And it's Jesus talking to his disciples who are at this point being given uh, instructions for service. And so he says in verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a, what? Testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, underline this in your Bible if you're not afraid to or you have your Bible and not somebody else's. Do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. Verse 20 says, for it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Amen. Amen. Yes. Okay. So Jesus gives us this really cool imagery. And again, don't miss not just what he's saying, but who he's saying it to. He's talking to his disciples, okay? This was not like an evangelistic outreach message at this point. He, he is commissioning a part of it, not the Great Commission yet, but he is, he's giving instructions to the ones who have been following him closely. And you know me, I speak to this church as the ones who are following Jesus closely. I'm gonna, I'm gonna toe that line and hold that standard that you all are walking closely with Jesus, okay? And if at times it... It feels like you're a little further from Jesus. It might feel like this message feels a little bit less for you. But I want to encourage you that as followers of Jesus, even even those who walked near him, they had doubts. Look at Thomas. They had challenges. They they got their priorities mixed up. They they kept asking Jesus right up to the end, which one of us gets to sit next to you in the kingdom, right? They're just they're missing it, consistently missing it. So Note that it is to these who are following him closely, regardless of the fact that they keep missing it, regardless of the fact that there is even a Judas among them, that Jesus says what he says, commissions them, gives them instructions for how they are to step out in their ministry. Behold, I send you out. And he gives us four animals, four animal pictures. How many of you guys are just, you love a good animal picture? Anybody remember that time when Kim Reichel had us prophesy our spirit animals over each other? Anyway, no, because all those people left the church. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, just kidding. That was weird. So the first one he says is, I'm sending you out as sheep. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So there's sort of like a, a preposition there. There's a, there's a context for sheep. And I, I can't get into every single reason why the sheep metaphor just works. Um, But I want to just give us one this morning, okay? Sheep. I'm sending you out as sheep, like sheep. A simile. If you get one thing about sheep this morning, get this, that sheep have no defense other than the shepherd. That's what we need to know about sheep especially when Jesus places them in the context of wolves. Sheep have no defense other than the shepherd. No defense other than the shepherd. I'm sending you out intentionally with no defense 
other than the shepherd. I'm sending you out with no mechanism for survival other than the shepherd. I'm sending you out. And actually, if you, if you go back and read through this, he, he even says, do not acquire gold or silver. Don't bring a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. What he's saying is, what he's saying is, you're going out on purpose with no defense. And saints, I believe that the sacrifice of defense is perhaps one of the greatest things that we will ever lay down. If you're writing things down, get this this morning. We'll never know the power of our defender until we stop defending with the power we know. We'll never know the power of our defender until we stop defending with the power that we know. That first power should have a capital P. The second power is a lowercase p. It's the one our flesh knows. It's the one our, our instinct knows. It's the one that first and fallen nature understands, that power. Some of us are more familiar, more acquainted with that power than others. Some of us have, uh, we have brought with us into our faith that power that we knew and we still know it, the power that we knew in the world, the power that we fought with in, in corporate America or in the courtroom or in, uh, in uh, our past lives. And when everything got baptized, somehow with our cell phone and our wallet and personal effects that didn't get wet, that power that we know, it got picked back up. And so to date, there are people who have been walking closely with Jesus who don't really fully understand his power because they have not yet stopped, ceased, surrendered the power that we know. One more time, we'll never know the power of our defender until we stop defending with the power we know. I'll tell you that, it, and, and I'm at, this is embarrassing at 61 years old to, to say that it wasn't until like a year and a half, two years ago, that I was sitting in a meeting and probably, no, I guess the first time was a, a few years before that, but even the Lord is working on this. This is not just to flip the switch and, oh, you got it right. No, 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 no. In fact, in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, for many of us, ceasing to defend ourselves with the power we know, it actually gets harder with the longer that we walk with the Lord. Because we build for ourselves defenses, no longer from the justice system, no longer from what's fair, but we start to build defenses from this thing. And those are sometimes the most dangerous kind. I mean, it, it can get real because then the other guy's got a defense from that kind. And by the time the meeting is over, it's, it's, we have done so much injustice to the word of God and to the heart of the Father, that it's just, it's, we've just totally adulterated what this thing was supposed to be about. And so anyway, I gave you the spirit of reconciliation, I think I remember him saying. You remember that? So just keep that in your back pocket. The deal is this. A few years ago, I was sitting in a meeting just with one other brother in the Lord, and he is just berating me about stuff the way I was leading the church, the way the, I was running the ministries, the way that uh, vision was being cast and carried out. And, um, and it was somebody I was really close to and it hurt real, real bad. And I just, 
I, I literally, I had things start to come up out of my mouth to say in defense of myself. And I might've gotten like a half of a sentence out and the Holy Spirit said, stop. You're not to defend yourself. At first I'm like, get behind me. <laughs> and then it's like, oh no, I need to get behind that. I need to get behind the shepherd. I need to get behind the one with the longer staff, with the longer rod, the one who can defend me from a distance when all I can do is wield whatever fits in my sheath. It's not that I couldn't have, and it's not even that I wouldn't have been right on some surface level, and I want to acknowledge that for just a second this morning. This, this goes so much farther beyond just the idea of, well, I can justify what I've done or what I've said or, or, or the way I've spoken or the way I've acted. The word of God says that he vindicates the righteous man. And that vindication is so much more powerful than when we fight our own battles. Amen? In fact, on that note, I'll say this morning, I was praying about this in like the middle of the night and um, and in this context of really coming to know the power of the defender, uh, I felt like the Lord show me battles in my life, in my past that I never actually fought, but that he just fought for me. I didn't even, I did, I didn't even participate. And I heard the Lord say, the greatest battles of your life are ones that you didn't even know about. The greatest battles in your life are the ones you didn't even know about. The greatest victories that you've ever won, you never won because they were won when you weren't looking. When we're, when we're thinking that we're waging World War III against the fly that's buzzing around our face as a sheep, our shepherd is behind us ripping the heart out of a beast that was about to rip yours out of you. And, and we go on not even realizing that some of the greatest feats, the greatest victories are things that the Lord did without us even looking or being aware of. And when you start to think about that and when you really start to get real, not just about the things that you came up against, but go back over your life and think about the things that you never had to face because he faced them for you. The things that you never actually had to engage in battle with. You think that's because the enemy didn't want to take you out? No, it's because he did. But your shepherd fought. The spirit of God was moving. Even when we didn't know how to pray, he loved us first. He came and he made a way. And so... Um, I want to encourage you with that this morning. And then the next thing is wolves. So we have sheep, and then we have wolves. Wolves hunt in packs, right? And anybody that's ever been attacked by the enemy, you know that when it rains, it pours, right? It's like, it's never just the one thing. It's like the 19 things, you know? And um, we don't have wolves in Rehoboth, but we have coyote that uh, they hunt in packs, and you hear them. You know, they, they wait till you open the windows and then they sit right outside your window and there's like a, it's like a, a bloodthirsty howl. You know, I think I've called the cops before and they're, 
when we first moved out of Rehoboth, I mean, out of East Providence. And I'm like, I'm used to gunshots and knife fights outside the window. You know, I'm used to just gang shootings and drive-bys and stuff there in downtown East Providence where we used to live. But, but you know, they'll just say, welcome to Rehoboth. Like, this is, this is this, it's a different kind of gang out here, you know? It's four legs. Wolves hunt in packs. And wolves are smart. Wolves look for weaknesses, and they look for isolation. They'll wait till you're either far enough away from the shepherd or far enough away from the flock. And saints, I think that that is where Ashley and I, as we've coming up on 12 years of, of leading this church and counseling people and sitting with people and calling people and leaving the 99 to try to get the one and, and bring them back. And, and after over a decade of this and then even years before that of, of pastoring young adults and, and a worship team, which, I mean, they're almost hopeless, you know? And just kidding, I'm totally joking. Worship team's the best ever. But I, I feel like what I found and over and over and over, it's just this pattern of picking off the one that slips away, picking off the one that isolates itself, picking off the one that intentionally or unintentionally, just neglectfully, obliviously, naively puts distance between themselves and either the shepherd or the flock. And here's the thing, you might, you might feel far from the shepherd at times, you might feel far from the Lord, but in those moments, it's that much more important that you stay close to the flock. Think about the, the way the enemy tempts us. The enemy says this to you, well, if you're feeling far from Jesus, then you probably shouldn't go to church. You probably shouldn't be seen in your small group. You probably should come up with excuse after excuse after excuse of why you, you don't need to get back into that group that's going to hold you accountable because you don't feel close enough to Jesus to have that conversation right now. And we've literally sat across pe from people who, who have explained that same mindset and you're like, oh my God, that's like the exact opposite of what it should be. That's why we're called to the body. That's why we're baptized, not just into the spirit of God, but into the body of Christ. We're baptized into this group so that when it feels like the shepherd is on the other side of the, of the paddock and he's doing something over there, and honestly, I can just barely see him. I don't know what he's doing. I can't hear what he's saying. You're surrounded. You're surrounded. <clears throat> While the Lord may call you to times of silence and solitude as a spiritual discipline, there is no part of our life that should be lived alone. There is no part of our lives that ought to be lived alone. And when we do, we will run into trouble. Now, whether that's out of shame or guilt and you slowly start to back away like this, or it's out of spiritual pride and you say, well, I'm just on a level that these people can't, they can't even, they just don't get it, they don't understand. Either way, Watch what's happening. You're separating yourself. You're either moving back down the mountain into a dark place, into a valley, or you're moving up the mountain, further away from the flock and tragically further away from the shepherd because he called you to the flock. He keeps you in the flock. And, and this has been, you know, let's just call it like it is. You know, I know y'all aren't used to me doing that, but... 
I'm just going to say it like it is. This, this church has been one that has been a gathering place for people who like to stay at arm's length. You get it? It's, it's, I'm sorry that I'm going to be drinking a little bit more than normal. It's been that kind of weekend, you know what I'm saying? It's, uh, you know, Ashley takes off and leaves me with the kids and it's just, you know, it's, the struggle's real, but I, I've had a, I've had a throat issue for a couple of days, so just bear with me. Um, uh, the, the point, the point that has to be made here is that the, the, we, we've kind of come in and we've carried with us this culture of like lone wolf thing. The problem is you're not the wolf. You're a sheep. I'm just a lone wolf. No, you're just a lonely sheep. No, I'm just, you know, I, I like to, you know, I do my thing. You guys do your thing. I'm, gonna, I'm just a lone wolf pastor. No, you are just fodder for a wolf. You are the wolf's next meal. That's what you are if you're going to maintain that kind of distance. Now, guess what? There's still a seat for you here. We still love you. But part of even coming into this, part of even coming into this year has been this, this heartbeat to, to maintain those who are actively and intentionally seeking to stay close. As the church grows, that fringe grows. That margin grows. And the greenhouses that you've heard about, the whole point of all of this, and you're going to hear more about, and there's going to be opportunities to, to, to not just come into those, but to actually sit down and to stay committed and invested and allow other people to really invest in you, to get vulnerable in a way that maybe you're not comfortable with and maybe you're not comfortable with for really good reason. But saints, it's more important now than ever before. And I, and I sense that from the Lord. I'm not just saying that so we can get this thing launched. It would be easier for us if less of you did that. Because we can just write off the 80% that are just going to, you know, come back and forth from being ripped in half by wolves, dragging, you know, themselves back in here every week. But when we're invested, when we're allowing ourselves to be shepherded and like last week to be fathered, to be mothered, to be covered, I am convinced that we will, that we will find ourselves in far less trouble. Amen? Jesus set it up for faith to be spread through relationship. So if you've been one that has said, no, I'll grow on my own, you're missing it. You're missing it. I can get closer on my own. No, no, that's not how it works. I remember when, when COVID, uh, when we, we started to come back from the uh, quarantine and people were really concerned you know, and it was like, oh, you know, and you would hear it on the news and churches would show up in the news that like, oh, somebody had COVID and then like 27 people did because they can't catch it anywhere else but just at church. And, and then um, one of the things, one of the things somebody said is church is a super spreader. And I was like, that'll preach. <laughs> yes, it is. Church is a super spreader of truth and power and life 
and conviction and accountability and strength and growth. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So the next one he says, this is where things start to go dark. You know, the sheep and wolves thing, it's like, okay, we get that. But then he says, be as shrewd, and some of your Bibles say as wise or, or um, discerning, some different translations, as serpents. Well, Lord, wasn't the serpent like cursed? And some, some, uh, some commentators and theologians will point to this and they say that the, the plural that was actually said in plural uh, to make sure that we're differentiating it from that serpent in the garden um, from the enemy. But the point is when he says this to be shrewd, that word that's translated as shrewd or wise um, it literally means having or prompted by accumulated knowledge. Accumulated knowledge. It's interesting. Even if you were to take the serpent all the way back to the garden and you think about, you think about the knowledge that that serpent, the old serpent, the accuser of the brethren, and if you think about the accumulated knowledge that even the enemy himself has gathered over time and knows and the way he acts accordingly. It's interesting, isn't it? Having or prompted by accumulated knowledge. I love Bibles that do translate it as wisdom because there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is knowing the right answer, and wisdom is knowing when to use it. And there's a big difference. There's a lot of believers today, there's, there are moves among the Christian faith to just know the right answer as long as I just know the right answer. And we challenge each other and measure each other by a rubric, by a standard of, do they know the right answer? Tragically, knowing the right answer means nothing if you can't apply it when the test is given. Right? King's Academy just had benchmark testing and their, mid, their midterm exams. Anybody in the house spent some time with their kids over this last week going through some things? I see that hand in the front row beautiful young lady there. See me after class. <laughs> Just have some stuff I'd like to impart to you privately. Um, guys, just knowing the right answer isn't enough. A test is coming, and it is now here. We have to be able to apply that knowledge more than just in the test. The whole reason the test comes to begin with is so that you can then apply the knowledge out in real life. To be as shrewd as a serpent means not just having knowledge, but being prompted by that accumulated knowledge when the time comes. Some, some historians translate it simply as common sense. I saw a bumper sticker that said, why is common sense so uncommon? The same could be said of believers. It's like we know. So many people in this room, you've been, you're like fourth generation Christian and you know what you know. And you know it deep down and you're knower. And literally every message I start, you could finish. And somehow, shamefully, our lives are still out of order. There's still chaos and still dysfunction. 
because we have separated the problem so far from the answer. We know the answer, but it's in a box. It's in a, it's in a photo album, in a, in a file folder, in a box, on a dusty shelf in our garage when all hell is breaking loose in our dining room. And even though it's just down the hall and out the door and down a couple steps, it's like a lifetime away. Being shrewd means understanding that the Lord has brought knowledge and principles and truth to you. He has revealed things to you. Even the way the enemy works has been shown to you for this purpose. And Jesus is saying this, and I don't want to miss this. He's saying it in reference to persecution. Note, beware of men, right there. He says, shrewd as serpents, innocent as doves, but beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in the synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. He's saying it in reference to persecution. Jesus wants wisdom when it comes to how we step out in our ministries. Saints, we, we have lost generations due to absolute ignorance in ministry, in evangelism. Some of you all have heard me say this story before, but I haven't said it in a number of years. Uh, and I remember being on Thayer Street. I think we were at Zion, um, if, it was, if it was that long ago at least. And we would go out to Thayer Street to Antonio's Pizza because they're open around the clock. And so we'd go out there, and I remember... I saw, we're looking out the window of the pizza place and you see this white 15 passenger van and all these guys get out of it and there's people coming in from the universities and stuff. They're going to like clubs and bars and stuff on the street and half of them are like half drunk already and these guys start screaming at them, you're going to hell. Let me make sure this gets Clorox between services. <laughs> Super spreader. And uh, that's right. And, and, and it was just like getting in people's faces and screaming at them. And it's like, man, what, what, what if a little bit of wisdom went into that to say, what, what kind of fruit do you get back from that? Well, Jesus tells the Pharisees. He tells the Pharisees. You make it so hard to be a convert, and then when you finally get one, you turn them into twice the son of hell you are. Because you make faith all about the wrong thing. Wow. In reference to persecution, Jesus wants wisdom. He wants shrewdness. He wants us to, to tap into everything we've learned, everything we've seen. The goal is not to win notoriety. The goal is to win souls. I'm going to say it again. The goal is not to win notoriety. Well, if we're evangelizing correctly, then the world should hate us. No. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus' life says this. If you're evangelizing correctly, then the church should hate you. <laughs> not the good church, but the Pharisees, that religious spirit that has wielded its power for too long in the church. I've always said that Jesus was harder on believers than he was on the world. And sometimes we don't like to hear that, but, but everything about his ministry, in fact, if you note where they have to be shrewd as serpents, it's in the synagogues. 
It's not on the street corners. He doesn't say, and be careful in the marketplace. He doesn't say that. No. The greatest persecution you're going to get is not what you think. It's not being thrown to lions in the, in the Colosseum. It's not being fired from your job. That's not the greatest persecution. The greatest persecution, the greatest pushback that you will get on the call on your life is right here. It's right here. It's from other believers. Some of y'all have been in ministry. You've been in vocational ministry. You've served, dedicated, invested decades of your life into serving. And the greatest point of stress, the greatest, the greatest burdens and pressures that you've ever had came from inside the walls of the church. It's tragic. The goal is not to win notoriety. The goal is to win souls. And so sometimes, sometimes we're out to win notoriety. When we get super tired of it, we start to identify with the notoriety that we get inside the walls of the church. And we, and we like the idea of being the outcast because it plays into that lone wolf thing that the enemy tempts us with to get us alone and by ourselves. We'll never know the power of our defender until we stop defending the power we know. Could have put that point right here too, but you already have it. I remember being in high school and uh, there was this kid and um, he was in our Spanish class, Kiona was his name and he was like Hawaiian or Samoan or something like that. And uh, there was a group of us, and we were really good friends. And he was kind of like a, came from a Hispanic, sort of Latino, Catholic-type background that wasn't strong, it wasn't real. And um, I was like one of the Christian kids in the South. He was in the Bible Belt, and, you know, there's a lot of Christians. And I remember just making it my plan, like, I want this guy to know Jesus. I want this guy to hear about Jesus. And so I lived it out, but I wasn't cramming it down his throat. But there were, uh, there were two Christian groups in our school that met before school. One was called FOG. That was the one that I led. It was called, it stood for followers of God. And uh, I should have worn the t-shirt. I think I still have the t-shirt. I don't know if it still fits, but uh, Fog met in the music room because that's where I had the keys. And so we met out there, and it was, uh, it was a cool group. And then there was another group of Christians that gathered, and they gathered right inside to pray. They stood in a circle to pray right inside the front doors of the church, uh, of the school, our high school, and where everybody came and got dropped off, and they would stand there. And so I remember one day, Kiona was, um, was coming into school late, which was not uncommon for him. And this group of Christians, this group of people praying, stood and they blocked the doors to get in. And so he ended up, get, he ended up being late for like a, an early morning detention or something that he had that he had to be there early for. And he got in trouble for it. And so he had to kind of like wrestle his way through this group and they ended up reporting him for like religious persecution because he broke through their prayer chain 
to get to class on time. And, uh, and I remember just being like, oh my God, that's so classic Christians. Like, I can't stand Christians. I'm like, they're so annoying. And, I, and I'm like thinking to myself, like, that's just what this guy needed was like a bad example when I'm trying to be a good one. And later that year, he died in a car accident along with three other of my really good friends. And, you know, I look back on that and I think if, if that group of people hadn't been so intent on the notoriety of their faith, if they hadn't been so set on winning notoriety, they might have been a part of winning a soul before that soul was lost. And saints, I think for us sometimes, depending on what camp you're in and what extreme you sort of fall on, I, I, I believe that that sometimes we can, we can create an identity that is actually, it's, it's repulsive to the world. Not in a good way. It's repulsive to the very ones that Jesus was attractive to. And so my prayer is that the spirit of God convicts us in those areas. That, that we use wisdom, that we, that we exercise all the knowledge that we've accumulated, not just the like, well, I'm supposed to be in this world, but not of it. Everybody emphasizes the not of it part. You still have to be in it. You still have to be in it, and you're in it for a reason. And finally, he says, be shrewd as serpents and this one, innocent as doves. You see, if your shrewdness or wisdom or discernment or whatever you want to call it, if in your shrewdness or wisdom and discernment you've lost your purity, innocence, and humility, then saints, we've lost the dove. That's what that word innocent, it's just real simple. It's purity. It's purity. Because oftentimes, the wisdom, the shrewdness, the thing that we will whitewash and put a lot of Christianese around it, oftentimes, those words build for us this empire that is separate from the kingdom. And so we end up knowing all the right words and being able to, again, like I said, justify this thing that we've created for ourselves. But if we look around and really take inventory of what's going on, the dove is nowhere. The innocence piece is nowhere. The purity is nowhere. Be, and it's just in one sentence, shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Saints, if you've lost your dove, go and get him back. If, you, if, if you're missing that, that piece of your life that just has the simplicity and the joy of in, interacting and engaging with somebody about the Lord, where there's no agenda. See, we always charge Jesus with this agenda, but his agenda was to establish the Father's throne. The way that he made disciples was very different than the way that we make converts. He doesn't say go and make converts. He says go and make disciples. And in order to make a disciple, you have to remain a disciple yourself. You have to just keep following me. I love it. You hear me talk about it all the time, about, about how this obsession with leadership, that we've lost the art of fellowship. 
and that if we're really set on just being good followers, we'll end up as better leaders than if we read all the right books and get the degree in it. Just keep following. Just keep following. That's the dove. Just keep following that innocence of, I don't know where we're going. I don't know what's next. We've had people leave the church because they're frustrated when we, the, the elders stand up here and say, we have no idea what we're doing. It's funny because a lot of that, I'll call it ignorance, a lot of that is because the dove landed here. The Holy Spirit is here. When he gets up and starts to move, we know where we're going. We're going in that direction. When he gets up and starts to fly, when we see him leading us to, to, to the next place, we say, okay, now we know where we're going. Not because we're good leaders, but because we're trying to be good followers. Well, a leader should have a five-year plan. Yeah, I wish we did. Here's my five-year plan. Follow the dove. Follow the dove. Stop where he stops. Keep the innocence about us. Keep the purity there. When we start to cloud our hearts with how we're going to arrive at the next thing or how we're going to accomplish uh, the next great exploit for the kingdom, when we start to fill in all those blanks, and now you know why a couple weeks ago I stood up here and said, we wiped 2023. Not because anything we were doing was wrong, but just because it's more important to us that we don't miss the dove. Be innocent as a dove. You won't be welcoming to another dove unless you act like a dove yourself. The dove won't find a place of peace to land unless we're seeking to be at peace ourselves. Amen? I don't have any of that in my notes. I don't know. Just let's get to this last point here. This is, this is where, this is really cool. Okay. So after he goes through his animal thing, uh, sheep and wolves and serpents and doves, it's interesting because then he comes to this place. And I believe that, that those four similes, those four uh, metaphors were setting a foundation for what was coming because that's how Jesus operated. And in verse 19, he says, but when they do hand you over, when they do, not if they do, when they do, don't worry. Can somebody just breathe in that? Don't worry. Don't worry about how or what you're going to say because it'll be given to you in that hour. For it's not you who speak, but it's the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Would you stand with me this morning, saints? The first thing I just want to point out about this point here, and you're going to be standing a while, so just get comfortable there. Take your shoes off if you need to. Look at Ashley doesn't even stand up. She just learned. She's, she's like, no, nah, we're about an hour out. The first thing I want you to point out is that he says, in that hour. How many times have you said to yourself, well, I would say something, but I just don't know what I'm going to say. I'm just, I'm going to say something, but I'm going to wait for the Holy Spirit to give me the words. No, 
The Holy Spirit is waiting for you to arrive at that hour, and then he gives you the words. The words will be given to you in that hour. His hour, not your hour. So for those of you who are trying to furiously write down on post-it notes or note cards or whatever, you know, like, like you've got your stack of like first date icebreaker cards, like, oh, hey, trying to just conversation starters. I think sometimes we approach evangelism that way too. We look for a script and we're like, okay, well, this person's into this. And so I'm going to strategize this whole way of moving based on what appeals to them and, and get this thing that way. And that's how we're going to talk about Jesus. But I wonder if we were, if we were more eager when it says, don't worry about how or what, and that, you could do a whole message just on this, and I just, I'm not, I'm not going to do it this morning, but we'll do like three quarters of one. So he says, how or what? Don't worry about it. Don't plan it out. Don't plan it out. Plan to move with the dove. Plan to follow the dove. And then if the dove stops here for a little while, don't run ahead of the dove and try to close the deal with the sinner's prayer. Don't try to get them to confess that they have fallen short of the glory of God. That's, that's not how Jesus worked. Jesus walked with people. And, and years ago, I preached this message called prophetic evangelism. And it was the first wave of when I very first started to feel like, hey, we're missing like an evangelistic thrust here. And, uh, and I was praying into that and I felt like, the Lord give me this whole thing on prophetic evangelism and the idea that, that we should always have one eye on the Father. We should always have one ear. Yes, we're listening to the conversation, but really, if we turn our attention away from the Lord and onto the world, then the world is leading us in evangelizing them. And that has described so much of the, uh, so many of the failed efforts of the church to gather the harvest in years past, decades past, generations past. The world taught us how to win them. But Jesus only did what the Father told him to do. So when he sat down with the prostitute, and when he went to the tax collector's house, when he engaged with those folks, he never stopped being led by the dove. He was as shrewd as a serpent in that everything the father had taught him came into play, but he maintained that innocence and purity, innocence from having a plan and a strategy. Well, this worked for the last 10 people, so I'm gonna do it again. You're losing, you're losing if that's your mindset. And I love this, that he, he says, the spirit speaks in you. Now, usually we, um, when you hear somebody paraphrase this, it'll say, the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. Or somebody will say, in that time, in that hour, the Holy Spirit will speak through you. But that's not actually the word. It's in, the word is in. A couple of times that word, sometimes that word is translated with, you, and sometimes you'll see it occasionally here and there, but the overwhelming 
understanding of that word is in you, is in you. It is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. And that word in, it is very simply a marker of location because the words are to do something in you as much as they are to stir the second recipient who hears them. And I say the second recipient because we're always thinking the first recipient, but you're the first recipient. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The word has to arrive at a place in your heart where it can mean something of significance to you. And for those of you who've been saved for 150 years, so much more for you. How much more for the one who knows all the right answers, who's passed all the tests? How much more just by right of that accumulated knowledge should we be the ones who those words change first? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I love the ones who can't get through talking to somebody about the Lord without themselves breaking down. Because <laughs> it's still so real. And you realize that this isn't just some script that they memorized to say. But here's somebody who is being resensitized to the power of salvation in their own life. They're being stirred first. I think that's part of what kept Jesus so fresh. Every time he arrived in a situation, every time he, you know, walking up to the the woman at the well. I almost preached on John 4 this morning. Walked up and he himself is being moved by what the Father is doing in him. Not just through him. Not just on the other end. Oh, we love that. If we can just get our eyes, if we can just take our eyes, if we can just take our eyes off of what needs to happen in us and just make sure that we're more focused on everything that needs to happen around us, well, we will just very quickly spiral into what the church has been for too long. If we're missing the dove, go and get him back. Go and get him back so that you can be led as you engage with the world, as you dialogue at the well, for some of you, it's not a well, it's a, it's a water bubbler at the end of the hall in your office building. For some of you, it is the water fountain outside the science class in your high school. For some of us, you know, it's, it's whatever. The well is the Dunkin' Donuts drive-through that you go through every morning. But either way, be led of the Spirit. And start from the place of fellowship. So before he says anything about being shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep. It all starts with who you're following. It all hinges upon you surrendering your defense mechanisms to know the power of your defender. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the power that you, uh, that you protect us with, for the covering you are as our good shepherd. And Lord, I, I pray this morning 
that we would never get over what it means to just follow you, to just be protected by you, to just be covered by you. That, that, Lord, that in the days and weeks and months to come that you would point out those battles that we've been ignorant to, those battles that you won on our behalf, the, the, the wars that we never knew because you, you took out the enemy before we ever even saw him. God, forgive us for those places where we've wandered off, where we've strayed away from the flock, be it shame or pride, God, or, or anything that would lead us out and away. God, if there's any in this room this morning who have, who have ventured away, God, I pray that this morning, Lord, that we would come back, not just to, to our protector, but to that group of people we're protected in and with. And I just feel like there's somebody in here this morning and that's you. And you've held this whole thing at arm's length. And the Lord is saying, no, come back. This isn't a prodigal thing. You're not, you're not away because of sin. You're away because of experience. You're away because you know people hurt you and people fail you. Because the only thing sheep are good at fighting is each other. If that's you in this place, come down here this morning. I want to pray with you. And I have time. <laughs> There's somebody this morning and you've put distance. You've held everybody out at arm's length. It's the exact reason why you don't want to come down to this altar call. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's good. It's good. The Lord loves this. He's so good. He's so good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Some of us who feel this way, I want to acknowledge that you have a really good reason for it. And I honor the fact that you're even here this morning. I honor it because it's so easy it's so easy to every week that goes by, put a little more distance, a little more distance. Create that insulation, make it a little bit thicker. I honor that you're here. And I wanna encourage you brothers and sisters that are down here this morning, that, that the Lord has not allowed you to stray any further because there is a huge call on your lives, because there's a reason, there's a significance to that and to this flock. There's a, there's a, a purpose for it. And the Lord's preserved that and protected that in you in spite of the ways that you've been hurt and wounded and bitten and burnt. Can you just take a couple steps forward here and come a little closer? because I, I, uh, I want to get our, our intercessory team up here. And I know these people, and they're good people. Our pastors, we only hire the good ones. And if we make any mistakes, we just let them go. Where's, our, where's the rest of our prayer team and pastors? Come down. Let's move around this group here. Lord, I just pray you'd release some prophetic words, God, over these lives. 
Some of you down here, the wolves have been circling you and closing in. Some of you down here, the, the, you, you hear them outside your window. And you almost, you've almost begun to believe that you just, you're just going to end up being eaten alive. You're almost succumbed to it because of how over time you, you believe that you're not a part of anything anymore. But that's a lie from the devil. That is a lie from Satan. You are the body of Christ. You are the flock. You are to be protected by that same shepherd and in this house. Lord, we thank you that you sent us out as sheep. We thank you that we don't have any defenses other than you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And before we sing this song in closing and you slip out, I want to just call one more thing here. If there are people in this room and there has been a specific burden on you, there's some awesome stuff happening up here right now and we're not going to interrupt it, but there's a lot of space right here. So here's what we're going to do. If you're in this room and the Lord has put a burden on your heart for, for a specific person or group of people and you've been ministering to them and you've been seeking the Lord for wisdom, for discernment, and maybe even this exact passage has been on your heart as you have sought to engage them with the gospel and with truth and with life and with love. But you're in need of strategy for that thing. And you're, you're, you really are in need of what's next. I feel like I've gotten as far as I can. I've, I've walked them down the Romans road and, and I'm kind of at a dead end, but there's not supposed to be a dead end at the end of this thing. So where did I miss a turn on the Romans road or whatever it is? If that's you, would you step out of your seat and meet me at this, in this little corner right here? I love this because there are some real evangelists in the house. And then there are some just normal Christians who just, who just want to yeah. talk to people about Jesus. So if that's you, let's get right in front of this screen right here. I love this. This is good. This is good. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So good, so good. Jamal's gonna lead us in a song and, and after that song, God bless you guys. Have the best day of your lives. But if you're down here at the altar, don't go anywhere until the Lord's done. This is Pastor Zach and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys, God bless you and have the best day of your life.